We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz presented by OTG Basketball. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. We got some actual breaking news today. What's up, Jack? Funny story, Nick. When I got the notification about the trade yesterday, I was playing 2K as the Nets, and I was versing, guess who? The Nuggets. <laughs> the <Ovens>. Denver Nuggets. <laughs> and Jack is definitely playing some things out there. Every time we drop a show, it feels like there's some news that happens right after, so maybe something will happen after this. But it was a pretty big trade. You know, it's technically two different trades, but we'll look at it as one. You know, the Nets received Kenneth Reed, Darrell Arthur, Denver's 2019 first-round pick, protected 1 through 12, Denver's 2020 second-round pick, unprotected, and then also Portland's 2020 second-round pick, 31 to 55 protected. They sent out Jeremy Lin, uh, 2025 second-round pick, the rights to swap 2023 second-round picks with Atlanta, as well as Isaiah Whitehead. But, Jack, initial reactions when you saw the trade. I mean, I was upset because I remember on yesterday's pod, I literally talked about the possibility of Lynn being traded and, you know, losing the credibility of my Nets number two. And I was <laughs> like, man, I'm going to get the Nick Faye curse. And <laughs> lo and behold, it happened. But yeah, there was a, 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 a right initial feeling of upset. I'm like, damn, Jim Lynn's an awesome guy, great glue guy, great leadership guy. But then when you sort of look at it as a whole and Nets Twitter as a whole and Twitter in general was just praising Sean Marks like no other. And he deserved it, absolutely. Um, I think that he was uh, he needs to be heralded for all the moves that he's made over the past two years and such. Um, but that was just an awesome move. 
Yeah, it definitely reminds you a little bit of the Mari Carroll deal from last year, getting the first round pick, the second round pick. Obviously, Jeremy Lin has only played 37 games for the Nets in two years. Injuries have really hurt that. Isaiah Whitehead, there really wasn't a role for him with the Nets, and he'll be waived by the Nuggets. So like you said, I mean, initial reaction, you feel bad for Lin, but it's another great move for Sean Marks. Adding a draft pick, you know, a first round pick and a second round pick, going to next season, they're going to have their own pick, and now the Nuggets pick, and it's protected 1 through 12. And I mean, the Nuggets, I would say, are likely to make the playoffs especially after signing Isaiah Thomas but I don't think there'll be a high seed so it could end up being another solid pick too I mean if you look at this year's pick that pick 14 that'd be a, a pretty decent pick obviously earlier talks are this year's draft or next year's draft sorry uh, it's going to be a little bit weaker but obviously you know that it's it's such early days uh, but obviously the protections get lower and lower up to a year that hasn't been revealed yet when it turned into two second rounders. But I highly doubt that's going to happen. Like you said, Nick, I, I feel like it'll, it'll probably happen next year. And, you know, anyway, if, if we have our own pick as well, you know, you can always package them to get a higher pick as well. If you want to get a quality player that you're targeting. So, I mean, to the fact that we are getting assets out of such like, you know, all these maneuverings uh, by short marks in the front office, it's just, you know, absolutely awesome. We're slowly building a treasure chest, something that the Celtics have done with our picks. Now we have some nice young players in D'Angelo, Karis LeVert, Rondé, Spencer, Jared Allen, you know, the guys we drafted this year, Musa. And now we have a first-round pick of our own, a first-round pick of Denver. Now we're possible trade, you know, people out there. We can make moves. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But let's talk about the impact that Fareed and Arthur can have. First, we'll start with Fareed, who there wasn't question if he would be bought out, but he just posted on Instagram, and it looks like he'll be in Brooklyn. He said, be ready for him. So what are you expecting from Kenneth Fareed, a guy who was on the USA team and had a really big summer a few years ago, and then he kind of just fell out of uh, Denver's front court rotation? Yeah, I think the, in terms of the way Denver was going, they sort of misused him, and their direction went uh, beyond that when they sort of started using Nikola Jokic in a more uh, key fashion. Um, and obviously, Fareed, for me, you know, I was doing some research, you know, Read some stuff on the Denver SB Nation, and they had some real love for him. Uh, I also looked at his like per thirty six minute numbers, uh, pretty insane. Like yeah. they are easy double double numbers. Like you know, even last year, which was one of his worst years, he had his per thirty six numbers forty point seven points and eleven point nine rebounds. Now, obviously, per thirty six numbers, you know, you take with a with a grain of salt. But every year, he's averaged fifteen and ten basically per thirty six. If he gets to minutes, you know, we know what we're going to get from, you know, the Manimal. I'm just really looking forward. We talked about him before and the fact that I think that he could provide a real need. He provides real energy. Like, you know, he takes Quincy Acey to like a new level. Um, he has real rebounding, great in transition, great verticality. Um, his defending can be, you know, a bit up and down. But I think, you know, we've got Jared Allen next to him if he was going to play at the power forward. But he will probably play some small ball center as well. I think it's just nice to have you know, extra rotation pieces, you know, like we talked about Ed Davis. But, yeah, I think um, Kenneth Fred's going to provide some um, uh, uh, so much on and off the court and, you know, give us a bit of personality as well. Yeah, some toughness, some rebounding. We talked about Ed Davis a few shows ago, and the Nets win in the offseason, kind of adding to that rebounding toughness, and they do it again with Fareed. You know, obviously the first couple of years in Brooklyn, the Nets had a guy like Reggie Evans, you know, rebounding monster, a lot of energy. Kenneth Fareed's probably going to be a supercharged version of that in a lesser minutes. Obviously, he's going to have to compete with minutes. They didn't side Ed Davis for no reason. And like you said, playing at the five is probably the preference for the Nets. But definitely something to keep an eye on. He has something to prove. It kind of reminds you of Damari Carroll. I don't think he'll bounce back the same way, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did bounce back in a, a smaller way. Yeah, and who knows? That could turn into like another asset. We're talking about Damari and the fact that he's been up for, in trade rumors and such. But both of them on expiring contracts and contract years. 
generally that's when you see the best out of players and they sort of obviously want to get that big payday. So Kenneth Farid obviously, you know, went to high school in, in New Jersey, so sort of back home to an extent. So I think he's going to have every opportunity. Uh, I believe him and Arthur have been meeting with the the Nets staff um, today um, from what I've seen. So hopefully they're productive meetings. And I think that they were because we saw, you know, like uh, Farid, like you said, Farid's Instagram post. But I think both of these guys can give us something, especially Farid. What do you think about Darrell Arthur? Do you think he could be possibly bought out? There's been some talk about that. Or do you think he'll be with the Nets as a veteran at the end of the bench? You know, he can shoot the three ball. I believe career three-point percentage is around 35%. Yeah, and there was some years, like, you know, uh, the year before last, he shot over, like, 45%. You know, he shot about 39% the year before. Obviously, last year, injuries really cooled him. I think that he will, will be on the Nets roster. Um, I just don't see um, what buying out would accomplish, especially the fact that he's an expiring, and it's only $8 million. Like, you know, we've got we've already bought out, you know, Deron Williams still on, on the payroll, as is Dwight Howard after that recent um, transaction. I see him, you know, providing something. And if he gives us something more than he did um, last season, I think that's a bonus, you know, being able to give us something at the stretch for something that we've sort of craved and sort of talked about um, ad nauseum on this podcast. You know, if, and I think one thing from reading about him and from all the sort of Twitter posts is that media and players alike absolutely love him. They respect him like no other. And I think that that's an invaluable thing to have in a locker room. Um, Even for a building, for a building squad and for a building culture that we've talked about, you know, to attract free agents, to have a teammate like that, you know, when funnily enough, when Kenneth Farid was, you know, losing minutes last year uh, around January, um, Darrell Arthur was the one that sort of went to Mike Malone and said, look, can you, maybe I think this is the time to sort of give him, he's, he's doing everything. He's, you know, putting in all the work off the court. Um, and funnily enough, you know, Mike Malone respected the hell out of that. And he was going to give him the minutes anyway. But the fact that Arthur was the one that sort of instigated that as a teammate, Jokic has spoken volumes of him in terms of being the sort of, you know, the voice of reason within that locker room. So to have that, um, going into our locker room as well. I think it's going to be awesome for guys, you know, especially like a Ronde as well. I think he could be uh, a really nice sort of mentor, similar to what Damari Carroll was for D'Angelo Russell. So, you know, as much as, you know, his on-court exploits could be questioned in terms of his ability to get out there. Uh, but, you know, if he does get out there, it's a bonus. But also, you know, his locker room presence will be uh, fantastic. Yeah, you lose a guy like Jeremy Lin, who's known as a great locker room presence. You add a guy like Arthur, who is another great locker room presence. And like you said, Denver's media, Denver's players have all spoken very highly of him. So you love adding a piece like that. And then obviously we love the picks. Let's talk a little bit about what the Nets lost in this trade. It's obviously not a ton. You know, the second, the 2025 second round pick, we don't even know where that's going to be or where the Nets will be at at that time. And then the 2023 pick swap, same thing there. Not really much to to worry about because Atlanta could still be in a losing situation or the Nets could be in a winning situation. I think, think second round picks aren't a big deal. Your thoughts on moving the second rounders? I mean, Nick, we lost a sixth grader. I don't, I don't know <laughs> how I'm going to deal with it. No, I think the second rounders, I always like, I'm intrigued by like, you know, what goes on in the negotiating room and say like, okay, well, we'll only do this trade if you give us this pick swap. And it's just like, it, it seems to me that it, it's, almost for show in, in weird ways, you know? Yeah. And it's not just, the, it's not just this Nets trade. It's just like, you could just do that trade straight up and like, you know, just keep the second rounders. Um, obviously these two teams um, and w- with the, where they are now project to obviously be around that time a, a little bit better, you know, in five years time, they want to be challenging for playoffs and championships. Um, so it, it's almost like these second rounders uh, are almost meaningless 
Um, but at the same time, you know, second rounders can turn into gold uh, occasionally. We saw, you know, Isaiah Thomas, you know, Draymond Green, all these sort of guys. But yeah, uh, for me, the second round has essentially been nothing. Yeah, especially when you're a team like Brooklyn and you are willing to spend money, you know, they can buy picks if it's necessary, especially late picks like those probably project to be. So, and then obviously losing Jeremy Lin, we kind of talked about a little bit before, you know, Lynn was one of the first, I guess, want to say bigger free agents to sign with Brooklyn. He wanted to be here. He wanted to help set the culture. You know, him and Kenny had a great relationship, and he honestly helped the franchise. You know, last season he missed all but 25 minutes, but the year before when he did play, even though he missed majority of the season, he was very helpful in terms of helping them build that culture and have shots at winning games. Yeah, and I'm not going to say anything bad about Jeremy Lynn. Um, I mean, you, you really can't. Um, health was probably his number one issue. Um, over his time in, in Brooklyn and for me it was sort of sad to not see him reach his potential and sort of be able to sort of and this season I was sort of you know had an element of an excitement about him sort of being able to produce on the court and, and to get healthy but you know, like we mentioned on the last pod that was sort of you know still go and listen to that guys because there was plenty of use, useful information on it um, and also it's fun to reflect on but the fact was like I was like hopeful to see him you know get healthy and stuff but at the same time the rumors going around where he was barely able to do five on five contact at the same time. So, while also um, the fact that it would have been nice to see him reach his potential, there were still question marks about that um, going into this season. And it also relieves our sort of point guard glut that we've been yep. talking about on all the different pods from here to full access hoops. Yeah, definitely. I think it helps in that area where, and Jeremy, like you said, there was some concern that he might not even be ready for training camp. You know, obviously he got injured in the first game of the season, a lot of recovery time. He's a guy who's dealt with injuries, numerous injuries. So, and then obviously, like you said, you know, we have a lot of guards. You know, D'Angelo is going to be that lead guard. It seems like more and more likely every single day the Nets are buying him being that star. Nets still, he just dropped a piece on that. It's great. As well, obviously, Spencer Dinwiddie, a big season. He's definitely looking like your backup guard. And then you got Karis LeVert, whose probably best skill set is playmaking. So now you have all three of these guys, and then you have to try to throw in Lynn, who probably is not going to get better. He's not going to reach a higher peak at this point in his career with all the injuries. They kind of wanted to invest in the young guys and make sure they got the proper minutes and didn't want to cause any problems. You know, if Lynn's playing great and, you know, the other guy's struggling, Kenny might play him and it kind of hurts the development a touch. But, and now they don't have to worry about that issue at all. Yeah, and I think the the number one thing that, like I mentioned at the start of the pod that sort of hurt me in the feels a little bit was because, you know, he was at Summer League supporting the guys sitting yeah. next to D-Lo. Um, and, you know, he was an, just an awesome teammate. And the fact that, like, you know, he was being told, look, look, I haven't heard anything uh, about these rumors and such. But obviously those rumors were linked to the Kamala Anthony trade, which, thank God, didn't happen. And we sort of um, worked wonders in, in this Denver trade and Atlanta trade. Um, so hopefully he was kept informed by his agent and Sean Marks about the process. I can't see this being a blindsided move. Um, obviously, Jeremy probably would have had a bit more to say. Some more may come out. Obviously, he's had a few Instagram posts and Twitter posts and stuff. Um, but, you know, he showed nothing but love. Isaiah Whitehead showed nothing but love for Brooklyn, his hometown. Uh, that was really awesome to see. You know? Yeah, you feel a little bit bad for Whitehead, too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he's on for to bigger and better things. Um, you know, he, he's going to make an impact. I, I really do hope so. You know, Brian um, Fonseca, who um, put on Twitter, you know, he got a text from uh, a source close to Isaiah Whitehead, said being in Brooklyn meant everything to him. So the fact that he was able to, you know, you know, get something out of Brooklyn, hopefully, you know, he had some really nice moments, not just, you know, we talked about him on, on, on some game recaps uh, in the buzz during the year. And, you know, he gave us something when we did have those injuries to our guards. Um, I think you can give something to a roster, you know, if you're willing to take a flyer on someone in terms of, you know, some guys outside of China or guys in the G League. I think Isaiah Whitehead is more than worth that. 
Yeah, I think maybe even a couple more years of development in the G League, possibly, and then coming back to the NBA and being, you know, a role player. And there's, you know, there's a small possibility he could end up back with the Nets down the line. Obviously not this year because of the CBA rules, but still, you know, we hope the best for him and Lynn. You know, they both were very, you know, very nice people, very good people when the Nets organization helped set that culture, the right energy, the right mindset. And that's something that you can't really take for granted, especially when you're trying to rebuild the situation. So the best of luck to them. Let's talk a little bit more about the picks. Obviously, the first-round pick of Denver, which we talked about, and you kind of mentioned that OKC one, and I feel like this would honestly be a better pick than OKC could have sent in any situation. But do you think the Nets are going to keep that pick that they got from Denver, or they're going to try to package it in a trade? Do you think it's more likely they trade the pick or keep the pick? Nick, we're getting Kawhi Leonard, mate. It's happening. <laughs> I've seen um, rumors out there. Nets Twitter is hyped right now. <laughs> of course they are. Of course they are. And, and why not? The fact that we're actually hyped about this sort of stuff. You know, Jimmy Butler has knocked back <clears throat> the contract extension. For some reason, they're offering him less than Andrew Wiggins, which bewilders me. Um, so there's obviously going to be rumors surrounding free agents and restricted and unrestricted free agents in that sort of sense. But for me, it, right now, it doesn't make sense to trade these picks. Um, the Nets don't need or want to be good now. We have all that space next year. It seems 2019 is going to be the season. Um, like Nets Daily put out the piece, this is going to be the year of D'Lo. All eyes are going to be on him. And to a lesser extent, guys like Ronde and Carol Silvert and maybe even Jared Allen, but he's already proved uh, more uh, than, he, than his capabilities so far. So I see us keeping the picks, like I mentioned at the start of the pod. You can always package them at next year's draft. And if you want to get a higher pick, you can always go there. So, you know, hypothetically, we get the 14 and, you know, we get our own pick, which happens to be, you know, nine or something like that. Like this year's pick was eight. So if we get 14 and nine, you can package that. You can probably get up to, you know, a, a near a top five sort of pick possibly. You know, the the Sacramento Kings sort of did that last year where they traded, I think it was 15, their, their 10th pick for 15 and 20. So, you know, we if we have somewhere in the top 10 as well, you know, we can obviously push up into that top five where they're obviously talent pool is going to be a lot greater. So I see us keeping going to next year because uh, Sean Marks doesn't really make any rash decisions. Yeah, it would have to be a perfect trade, I think, at the deadline or something along those lines. I think it's more likely, like you said, moved at the draft. If that's for a player or if that's for a trade package to move up in the draft, I think for the most part, it would have to be a perfect trade for them to kind of make a move for a player. But I wouldn't rule out of the realm of possibilities, especially with Sean Marks. Yeah, and I mean, Sean Marks, we always are surprised by the moves that he makes. Like we sort of had like rumblings of this trade, you know, before the draft and, you know, even the Lakers were sort of in, in the realm uh, of, of doing this trade to sort of get the pick that we got to sort of, you know, make it a move for Kawhi. Uh, I think the, the number one asset that we got out of this was the pick. Um, obviously, the fact that Sean Marks has been able to get any picks along the way uh, has been, you know, insane. You know, the, he's obviously, he's being talked about already as an executive of the year, um, which it's just, it's crazy to think, you know. Uh, a guy from the music, situation he took over. <laughs> exactly. A guy from, you know, just across the way, just across the ocean from me over in New Zealand doing his thing. Uh, it's, it's just awesome to sort of, see that relevancy, see that respect back to our franchise, back to our team. And, you know, everyone jumping on that bandwagon. It's just, we never thought we'd see the day. I've mentioned it before. It's just, you know, the, the future was very murky, you know, under uh, Mikhail Prokhorov and, and Billy King but and Bobby Marks. But now we're under, you know, new management with Joseph Sy, um, Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson. It seems like the future is only getting brighter and brighter. Yeah, it's definitely, it feels like a long time ago where the Nets had no picks, no young players when Rondé was the lone young piece on the roster. Things have definitely changed a lot. 
Which net do you think benefits the most from this trade? I think it probably spe- benefits Spencer Dinwiddie the most. You know, you could argue maybe D'Lo um, if you know Jeremy Lin's going to be starting because <clears throat> if we look at last season, um, Jeremy Lin and D'Lo probably started next to each other. Um, and obviously you could argue that, you know, you'd rather have Alan Crabb in that position or you'd rather have Spencer Dinwiddie or you'd rather have Karis LeVert. Um, I think it'd be interesting later to debate what our starting lineup is going forward as well. Um, but I think it probably benefits Spencer Dimwitty the most. You know, it allows him to sort of, you know, get those extra minutes, get those um, get those extra reps in, sort of prove himself even more so. You know, he's going to be going into a, a, a year where he's going to be trying to prove himself even more so. Carol Savert to a lesser extent. Uh, I think it just helps all of our guards um, in terms of, you know, the minutes that, that Lynn would have gotten, you know, you distribute those across from, you know, everyone from Joe Harris to, to Carol Savert and, and Spencer Dimwitty. But um, I, I think in, in terms of, you know, not minutes-wise, but in terms of reputation-wise and in terms of being able to sort of run this team in in his sort of eyes and in his mold uh, along with Coach Kenny, uh, it's D'Angelo Russell as well. So obviously you can make an argument for any of them. Um, whose bandwagon do you think of? Um, you, are you on? I think you were right right on with Spencer Dinwiddie. I think it pretty much locks him up as the backup point guard. You know, I think there was some question maybe about him and Lynn kind of battling for minutes a bit, and obviously Spencer being the younger guy. It feels like the Nets are really buying into Spencer. You know, this offseason there was a lot of talk, myself included, that I thought he might possibly be traded, especially around the draft, and he wasn't. So I think it's kind of a message sent like, all right, Spencer Dinwiddie's a guy that we might look to keep around. You know, next year it could be a lot different when his contract runs out and they need to pay him. But I think in that backup role, I think it really works out. He gives you a guy that can start if D'Angelo were to go down or something. And like you said, I think it benefits D'Angelo. He doesn't have to really worry about that. He's kind of the lead guard. He's a guy in control. He's the best guard in the Nets roster. And then you look at Karis Avert. He's a guy who doesn't have to worry about kind of dishing off the ball and having to play more off ball. I think it allows these three young guys, which are, you know, three of the top five players probably on the Nets to have the ball in their hands more instead of having to worry about playing off ball and kind of worrying about uh, making sure everything's working out for Jeremy Lin. So I think it definitely is going to help the young guards. Yeah, it definitely doesn't stun their development in any sort of way. Yeah, I also um, think Jared Allen, I tweeted this out. I think Jared Allen might be shooting more threes than we anticipate going into the season, especially with some of the pieces they added. You know, if they are looking to play Farid at all at the four, and then obviously Rondé doesn't really shoot threes unless he did a ton of work this offseason. But I think Jared Allen could shoot a little bit more threes than we anticipated going into this year. Yeah, it seems that way, obviously, through some of his summer league play. Um, it's funny, in 2K, every time I play as the Nets, Jared Allen's always the one hanging out in the perimeter because he's the starting <laughs> setter. And I'm always trying to, like, whenever I kick it out, I drive and kick it out, and I do take the three with Jared Allen. Obviously, he doesn't go in very often because he's not a three-point shooter. Um, so hopefully that then changes uh, in the coming season because, you know, I'd like to see uh, his rating improve in that sort of sense But by the time the 2K19 comes out. But, yeah, when you look at um, guys like, you know, Kenneth Freud and Ed Davis, guys who may play some small ball um, five, but also could play at the four as well if we're going sort of a supersized lineup because who knows, having that sort of flexibility like we've talked about on other pods uh, is, is key for, for Coach Kenny, just being able to throw out different sort of lineups and looks. You know, th- those guys are just full-on rebounders, full-on defensive sort of guys, guys that don't really have that ability to stretch the floor. So it allows Jared Allen to sort of, you know, hang out a little bit, but he's still probably our best rim protector. Um, you could argue Ed Davis is as well. Ed Davis is probably our better our best pick and roll defender um, right now. But I just like the fact that Jared Allen is expanding his game. You know, his free throw shooting was one we um, were marveled at and the fact that he exceeded expectations and then some. And generally, like, you know, has been mentioned by guys like Kevin Pelton, 
If you're a decent three-throw shooter, that generally translates to the mechanics of being able to be a decent perimeter shooter. So hopefully that bodes well for Jared Allen. And yeah, I, I don't, wouldn't mind, you know, because I think there's going to be lesser expectations on a, on a guy like Allen this year bringing in these vets. So allow him to sort of expand his range. Um, you know, keep him out there if he misses a couple threes. Um, I think the key for him is going to be confidence, as it is with all young guys. Yeah, I think the corner three. I'm not really that concerned about top of the key or anything. That would be great. But if he can just develop that corner three, and honestly, the play that keeps replaying in my head is from Summer League where uh, Jared Allen takes the kick out. He's at the three-point line, hits him with a pump fake, dribble drives, getting the paints, and throws down a poster. You know, I yeah, think that is, that, that's just a beautiful play. Yeah. And it's something that we're looking to see more of this season. And also, there's been talk about the East getting a, more about playing bigs, and that could be something the Nets were worried about a little bit. Having a little bit more toughness and rebounding should help. So I think the starting lineup, like you said, we could discuss that a little bit. But um, overall, I think Jared Allen will benefit from having these guys around to do some of the dirty work, especially being a younger, slimmer guy. Absolutely. It allows him to sort of focus on on other things in terms of his skill set. What do you think about the Nets in terms of making another move? Do you think we're going to see more moves from this point on or they're pretty much done? Look, in terms of the the amount of cap that we got left, you know, we're going to probably afford another uh, minimum guy. Um, obviously, we've now been able to buy out um, Janan and, and Rodion's and their contracts. The cap hold of, of Joe Harris has now been used so we can assign him to his deal that we, we reported earlier. Um, there, there could be a minimum deal out there, and we do have another roster, um, couple of roster spots available. Um, it's going to be interesting to see whether those go to some two-way guys from our summer league, um, guys like Milton Doyle, um, guys like Watan- is it Watanabe, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. I was going to hope you were yeah. pronouncing that because I wasn't going <laughs> to. Yeah, I think, I think it's Watanabe. Um, uh, he's got a really great following internationally as well in terms of that sort of um, that Asian following, that that international following that Jeremy Lin had, he is absolutely huge in Japan apparently, and I, I've liked his play in the in the off season, and also he's a stretch four as well. Um, it just depends on whether they want to continue with Milton Doyle and see what he can prove. Uh, I see it probably the roster being filled out that way with either you know maybe some vet minimum guys who were still on the market. You know we saw Isaiah Thomas go to um, the rivaling Denver on a minimum deal. So who knows if we could pick up someone on the minimum for a cheap, get a bargain out there like we, we tend to do, or we could fill it out with some two-way guys. Uh, yeah. I'm not really fussed either way. Yeah, I agree. I think it's not a big fuss. I think the guys you mentioned, probably like Milton Doyle and Wannabe, will probably be two-way contracts. I wouldn't be surprised if they went after like a veteran point guard, you know, somebody for the end of the bench just to have around. Obviously, Jose Calderon already signed, but somebody along those lines, maybe like a Jameer Nelson or just somebody that they could have just in case and kind of help the young guys kind of mentor them a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, we've added so much leadership in terms of the vets that we've gotten. So it'll be interesting to see what which route we do go down. And obviously, um, I'd be remiss not to mention um, Pinson as well, who's shown to be yes. to play um, in, in the summer league as well. So if you're looking for guys on two-way contracts, it'll be Doyle, Pinson, or Watanabe. Uh, and obviously, some vet minimum guys could be out there as well. But um, I'm in the camp of uh, Watanabe. Um, and I mean, I, I'm, uh, I don't really care about Pinson or Doyle. I just, I'm all, I'm all about the stretch fours because uh, <laughs> being somewhat of a big bloke, you know, I've got to stand up for him. No, definitely. Those guys are interested to keep an eye on with the two-way contracts and the Nets G League team obviously is great with player development. So see what happens with those guys. Do you feel like now since the Nets grabbed another first round pick in next year's draft that they're a little bit more comfortable if they were to strike out in free agency next year because they'll be adding possibly two young pieces and kind of adding to the rebuild regardless? Uh, it depends, Nick. I mean, obviously, you know, um, David Aldridge tweeted earlier, it's going to be the fight for the apple. 
Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna start making a trend. Apple fight and Brooklyn buzz. Like <laughs> I, I reckon every time we put out a pod, we'll, t- we'll do hashtag Apple fight, hashtag Brooklyn buzz, uh, because uh, I think that's gonna be something really fun to watch. And the fact that you know some credibility is being given back to basketball in New York is only good for the game and the league in general. Um, uh, it's really exciting to see um, the, the the development uh, and the sort of reformation uh, in that sort of sense in terms of the image of basketball in the city. I wish I was there to sort of uh, on ground zero. But um, in terms of your question, I, I mean, it depends on the talent available. Um, obviously, guys like Zion Williamson, uh, RJ Barrett, you know, if you get someone that high, then yes, that's a franchise-altering guy. You know, obviously, you look at this year's draft, probably – uh, a guy like even a Wendell Carter, uh, some are talking about as being, you know, franchise changing. Kevin Knox at that sort of uh, nine position as well, possibly as franchise changing. So it depends on the number that the Nets get with their own pick, because obviously the Denver pick is one to twelve protected. So it depends on how good our Nets are or how good we can package uh, a deal to sort of move up. Obviously, you prefer the proven commodities. Uh, in guys like Jimmy Butler, KD, Kyrie Irving, and Kelly Thompson, because they're proven guys. But um, at the same time, you, know, you wouldn't put it past Sean Marks and Coach Kenny in terms of their player development to turn any of these guys into superstars, especially if we see that happen with D'Angelo Russell this year. Exactly. And I think the fact Jared Allen and Karis LeVert weren't drafted very high either, obviously in the 20s, I think that gives you a little bit more hope about the picks. I think it gives, you know, it's not a huge, you know, backup plan or like blanket to kind of cover you up in case you miss out on free agents. But I think it definitely kind of eased the process if they were to strike out. It's like, all right, now we have about six young pieces. You know, we re-signed D'Angelo, re-signed Rondé, and now we maybe missed out on some of the big guys. But we have cat flexibility moving forward. Maybe we add another pick. But I think obviously the goal would be to add at least some very good free agents. Maybe not the cream of the crop like we talked about on the previous show, but at least some of these borderline all-star types to kind of really push the envelope forward that the Nets are about winning. Yeah, it's all about having that flexibility, all about sort of improving the roster as a whole. You know, you obviously, unless you're in the race for those free agents, unless you have the space, you know, there's no point in even talking about them. But the Nets have obviously put their names out there. And I'm sure, you know, all all the players are on Twitter, all the players are liking comments on Instagram here and there. Obviously, Jimmy Butler's talking about the Spurs and the Knicks and such. But, you know, Brooklyn's right down the road and I think they're starting to make their name be known. And I'm sure that they're... The meetings will be called. The phone calls will be had. Um, and if the Nets have a decent enough season where they're pushing for an eight seed possibly, and, you know, they, they obviously with the um, the lottery um, odds being smoothed out, they give us a chance to still get a decent enough pick, then who knows? Um, we could have one of our sort of big superstar guys for the first time in who knows how long. I think you brought up a great point, the fact that the Nets are catching a lot of love. And it's not just with Nets Twitter, it's with overall just NBA Twitter. A lot of the big name NBA writers are showing the Nets love. Sean Marks, everybody's talking about how he hasn't made a wrong move. He's pretty much owning this GM job. And I think it's going around the league and it's really nice to see. And then the facilities are so great in Brooklyn. And also one thing that you constantly hear about uh, the Nets through the players is the Nets are really concerned about everyone's family, making sure it's a family environment and everyone's taken care of. So I think that's something that players respect. And if the player's really looking for the best situation for themselves, Brooklyn is definitely someone who's on the list and keeps getting higher and higher. Yeah, and I mean, if you're talking about one of the best cities in the world, I mean, New York, it's always been my dream to live and work in New York and Brooklyn would be, you know, insane. Shake Shack across the road, the Barclays Center is one, like you mentioned, Barclays Center is one of the best stadiums in the league. And, you know, our, our training facilities are the best, if not the best, you know. Uh, there are other teams that sort of get talked about here and there. But for me, you know, the Nets are far and above. You know, Janan uh, marveled at it when he was sort of uh, in for the press conference and he was signing. And, you know, that environment that we've created, like 
Uh, there, I think there was a story last year that we talked about the sort of the family facilities and guys like Quincy Acey and Damari Carroll, all these sort of vets talking about how welcoming it is to their to their partners and to their families in general. And obviously there are the guys that will be targeted will be guys that probably do have those families. Kyrie uh, does have a child. You know, all these sort of guys will be wanting to sort of maintain that sort of connection. You know, it's a, it's a grind of a season, 82 games without, um, you know, as much contact with your families and, and your partner and, and your kids. You know, it, it takes a toll. And the fact that the Nets are so welcoming in that sense is certainly a, a tick for us because, you know, other teams may not sort of have that environment and, and created that sort of culture. So anything that's a good thing for the Nets is going to be a good thing for free, pr- prospective free agents. Yeah, and you like you said, living in New York is amazing. You know, there's so many different options where it's like so diverse as well. You can live a certain way. Your family can live there. There's tons of stuff to do. You know, a lot of big things are happening in New York City on a regular basis. But moving on from there, Jack, do you think this trade ultimately helps the Nets get closer to making the playoffs this year or it's still about the same? No, I think it actually does. Um, any, any way that you can add to your roster in terms of a talent, in terms of depth, you know, if you're arguing, is Jeremy Lin, was Jeremy Lin going to add more than Kenneth Freed or Darrell Arthur? It's sort of null and void. I think, you know, adding that extra play like a Darrell Arthur gives us the possibility, you know, in terms of at that four position that we could have, you know, some extra play. You know, Jeremy Lin may have been better in terms of uh, his talent and in terms of his production than guys that we just mentioned and even in, in some of our other guards. But I think it probably brings us that little bit closer. Like, you know, if you're going to the ESPN trade mission and probably do that trade, uh, it'd be interesting to see how many wins up and down uh, the two teams go. But for me, I think it adds to us. Um, and I think, you know, adding a guy like Farid uh, alongside, you know, a thing that was a weakness for us last year, the rebounding, yeah. has ultimately become a strength with, you know, guys like Ed Davis and Farid who are absolutely beasts on the board. And you expect a lot of other guys to kind of step up in the rebounding department. It could be like the Nets are actually a really good rebounding team next year, depending on yeah. the lineups that Kenny goes with. But like you said, you know, losing Lynn, it, it, he's a talented player, but the injury obviously is there. Was he going to get 100% even in, you know, 2018, or we weren't going to see 100% led to 2019? And like we talked about earlier, the young guards are there, and they most of them, I would say, have a higher ceiling than Lynn does. And um, the Nets needed more help in the front court, and they add for Reed and Arthur. You know, even if the guys don't play a lot, like you said, they're going to have nice depth on this roster. It just feels like the Nets roster is filling out with a whole bunch of at least pretty good to solid players. You know, they might not have any of these big-name stars, but there's decent players at every position. Yeah, right now we have 13 playable, like you could argue that Musa and Karak are two probably uh, least playable guys in terms of their... But they obviously have the talent. It's just that they're not necessarily NBA-ready, yeah, like league level, yeah. But to have that depth, you know, the we've talked about how injuries have haunted us over the past sort of couple of years since we've been doing the pod and, and even before that. To have that depth now, it's just like, you know, you've got a guy who goes down, you can plug someone right in that position. And because some of these guys are quite versatile, you know, Musa can play anywhere from one to four. Um, you know, Levert can play anywhere from one to three. Obviously, Fareed um, and Davis are four and fives. So to have that depth now and that versatility, uh, I think is going to be key in terms of not only um, roster rotation, but also in terms of injuries where to, where to come. And they are. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. It's an 82-game season. You know, injuries are bound to happen regardless as well as you're prepared or conditioned. But, Jack, you want to talk starting lineups? Give me your starting lineup on opening night right now. Obviously, a lot can change over the next few months, but if you had to make a pick right now. Yeah, I think nothing much changes from last year, Nick. Um, I think I've got D'Lo at the one, uh, Alan Crabb at the two, uh, Damari at the three, Ronda at the four, and uh, Jared Allen at the five. Uh, I think Alan Crabb is set for... 
uh, a breakout at that starting position. I've got uh, big things hope for him. We've talked about D'Lo uh, ad nauseum and, and with good reason. It's going to be um, a very fascinating season for him. But you know, low-key, I'm expecting some big things for Alan Crabb. He's uh, spoken to Summer League and some of the reporters saying, you know, he feels great the fact that he's healthy now and he can attack the season uh, with full gusto. Uh, I'm ready for a big season from Alan Crabb at that starting position. And yeah, if not, you know, my boy Joe Harris is going to be uh, breathing down his neck as well. Well, what would you say? You know, I agree. I think the starting lineup is most likely not going to change, but there obviously is always possibilities. If you had to pick one position where you think the change would come from last year? Um, I mean, in terms of the depth that we have, um, the, the four position with Arthur and, and Kurox, you know, you could argue as well at the three with, with Musa. Um, I, I think that Carol is the most. Carol and, and Hollis Jefferson are the guys that could probably change the most. I think Alan and Russell are probably the stalwarts there. Um, obviously, Alan could change in terms of his health and in terms of his durability. Uh, but now, obviously, being into his second season, that could change. Um, so I think anywhere from two to four, the two to four position, uh, things could change because, you know, uh, Levert could start uh, alongside Russell on nights. Same with Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, so the, the flexibility, I think, other than the one and five position, I think that there's uh, they're certainly still up for grabs somewhat. Yeah, I think I would agree. I think one through one and five are locked in. I would kind of think Carroll probably would be kind of close to locked in just being one of the better two-way players yeah. on the net, if not the yeah. best. And then the fact that he just kind of has like a knack for making the plays when needed and he's kind of the leader on the floor. And like you said, at the two spot, I would not be surprised if Karis LeVert were to jump Alan Crabb, but they might want to go with the spacing just because Crabb's such a good three-point shooter. I think the three-point shot is definitely going to be an impact on how the lineups work out because we know Kenny loves his spacing. But obviously, when you have some elite guys, like when you have a lineup with Alan Crabb and Joe Harris possibly out there at certain points together, it kind of allows you to play maybe somebody at the four and the five who can't shoot the three because they're just setting the mean picks on the their perimeter and getting them open. So I think there's a lot of different options for Kenny, and it should be a fun season. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't really have an idea about the rotations until maybe like a month or two or maybe three months into the season just because there's so many different options. Yeah, do you think in terms of Coach Kenny, you mentioned him there, Nick, do you think that this changes his sort of system and his philosophy? Obviously adding such two awesome rebounders, uh, or does it sort of still uh, turn into the sort of pace and space system and guys like Ed Davis and Freed contribute to that but in, in another way in terms of their offensive rebounding and getting us some extra looks because obviously you play towards what your personnel is and obviously adding all these different pieces in, uh, does it change what Coach Kenny is going to be looking at going into next season? I think, like you said, anytime you get new players, you kind of make some adjustments, but I think overall it's still going to be the same system. And I think for Reed and Ed Davis can set you some nice picks. They're not going to shoot threes, but we talked about Jared Allen adding to that three-point shot. Rondé's talked about knowing that he needs to add a three-point shot, so that could be a big boost for him. And also when you shoot a lot of threes, there tends to be a lot of offensive rebounds and having two monsters on the board like Farid and Ed Davis to just add to that department. So I think it kind of is going to be like a plus. Like, you know, thinking about it all the time, you're like, all right, well, these guys can't shoot. How are they going to help the Nets in the system they run? Well, they can set good picks, and they can rebound offensive boards. So that's going to be a big plus for the Nets in an area where they probably didn't have it last year, and they're probably hoping like a guy like Moskov would do it, and obviously that didn't work out at all. Yeah, I think offensive rebounding in, in today's game, you look at guys like Steven Adams and the extra looks that he gives his squad, Andre Drummond as well. Uh, I, I think that it's becoming a premium to an extent. Like if yeah. you if you're going up against guys like the Golden State Warriors, uh, where they're sort of it's it's sort of a weakness for them in terms of their rebounding, 
Uh, obviously, they could make some. Obviously, get Demarcus Cousins changes that uh, just a little bit. But I, I think that you, you know you work with what you've got, and if you've got some great offensive rebounders, then jack it up, and then you know don't be afraid to see a guy like a Davis and Kenneth Fareed, you know, get some monster putbacks. You know, I'm expecting some highlights from the Manimal this year, and you know, I, I think getting those extra looks is only going to be positive for us. And you know, I'm really confident with this roster rotation and this depth that we have. You know, we can see moments from Janan as well being able to space the floor as well. I think that there's. So much versatility to us now. You know, last year, you know, there were just nights where, you know, when we lost Ronde and uh, Karras for that period, you know, towards the All-Star break and just post it, we're you know, we, looked, we, looked, we looked super weak. Now, when you, you look you look right now, you know, you, if, if he's out, then, you know, you, you plug in a guy like a Darrell Arthur. If, if Levert's out, you plug in a guy like a Musa. You know, it, it's just like we had these ready-made replacements, whereas last year we just had that lack of depth. We, you know, we traded Trevor Book, obviously, with good reason to get that pick. You know, um, Jalil Okafor showed barely anything. Uh, and and there's just there was a real lack of depth. And, you know, what you want is to have guys that are ready to sort of just step in when needed. And I think Coach Kenny has got that now. And I think if he creates a cohesive system and, you know, where everyone buys into it and everyone knows their role, which I'm confident of, uh, I think that it's going to be gangbusters going into next year. And what we talked about, too, is another – just a touch on Farid. I'm really excited, like you said. I think there will be some highlight plays. He's definitely a guy that likes to get out and run, too, so you can see a little bit more fast breaks from the Nets, where I think that's always a great area for a young team to kind of build up energy and confidence. But we mentioned, you know, the Nets being a little bit fatigued during the year when Ronde and Karras were out and missing some pieces and having to play, you know, Milton Doyle or James Webb the third. you know, guys who aren't NBA-ready players. And now having depth is definitely going to help the squad, and I think they can play at a higher level of energy knowing that they have somebody to back them up and come in and like we said, having, you know, pretty decent to solid players, Kenny's not going to mind, you know, mixing up the minutes a little bit more. Somebody might play less minutes, but he's going to be fresher. And now we have a guy who's coming in who's not a lot worse than the guy who was starting. So it feels a lot better overall for the team. Yeah, the pace, I think one thing has been, we look good when we, you know, get out in transition, that pace and space system. Obviously, you know, we had one of the higher paces last year. Um, you know, I think the New Orleans Pelicans finished with the highest sort of um, pace uh, last season. But obviously with what we've got now, a guy like Kenneth Reed certainly adds to that. Um, you know, guys like Janan Musa uh, as well. You know, I think the pace and space system is, and because we have that depth now, like you said, the minute distribution, you know, C- Coach Kenny doesn't necessarily have to worry about that. You know, I'd like to see him ride guys like D'Angelo Russell out there for a little bit longer if he's got a hot hand. You know, Alan Crabb, Jared Allen, you know, if they're ready for those extra minutes, you know, these guys are starting to become fully fully fledged NBA-ready players. You know, give them those 33, 34 minutes. Um, You know, obviously, you know, he limits his minutes in such a way. And maybe having that extra depth now sort of causes him to keep doing the same thing. But, you know, we could see some different things from Coach Kenny next year. But, you know, it's... The fact that there's so much fascination surrounding all the different storylines with Coach Kenny and the lineups and each different player as well. Uh, There's so much to prove for all of these players. Uh, I think a lot of them are going to have plenty of chips on their shoulders. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be the best roster that Kenny's had in Brooklyn yet. So having all these pieces together, it'll be really exciting to see what will happen. And, you know, we don't know if the Nets will make another move. It might be a small move, a splash move. Who knows with Sean Marks? He's always working on something. But, Jack, anything else before you want to touch him before we get out of here? Nets fans, keep watching, mate. There's always something happening behind the scenes, and uh, we're on the buzz. Hashtag Brooklyn Buzz. We're buzzing. Yes, sir. We are buzzing. And check us out on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, YouTube. Subscribe, retweet. Also, check out otgbasketball.com. We just did a site update. You can listen to the buzz on there and also check out any other Nets articles. Have a great day, guys. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.